I have a very special guest for you today. Here's what some of his colleagues say about him. He's not only a great leader, but a great person. I believe he's so successful because he's very pragmatic with business decisions and in dealing with people. He's able to balance objective needs with subjective realities. And this is not only critical on leadership, but critical on life. Here's another one. He is one of the most focused, dedicated, and motivated people I know. Constantly assuring his team are being supportive, but supported makes him a true leader. Ultimately, his energies and positive and attitude are contagious. Matt Haywood, you're very welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Matt, maybe you could start telling me a little bit about where you grew up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado in the United States. Um, I spent uh, time there in my young childhood before moving to uh, the Midwest, Iowa City, Iowa, a big university town medical school there. My mom worked at uh, the university, the Children's Hospital. So I actually spent like what I would call uh, my young adult life, um, you know, my teens um, there in, in Iowa City, right in the college town, going to uh, the local high school. Um, loved living there. My mom's side of the family, they're all uh, farmers, you know, farming family from Iowa. So I got to, you know, spend time around the farms um, you know, through, throughout those years. And then I ended up moving back to Colorado when I uh, went to school after, after high school. So um, kind of bounced back and forth quite a bit uh, in, in my young life. Uh, and then, you know, kind of ended up in Chicago, Illinois, um, at age what 23 24 um yeah. and that kind of kicked off you know the the next acceleration in my yeah. i've never been to iowa i've been to colorado a few times wonderful place uh, from what i know of iowa uh, how i imagine how i imagine it being just miles upon miles upon miles of fields and roads that go on into forever kind of different to colorado very um, different yeah yeah what drew uh, you back to colorado yeah, I you know I think part partially being from Colorado, I had this um, in my mind this tie to Colorado. Um, I'm a big nature um, kind of guy. I always appreciate the nature, and the nature is in Iowa. It certainly is. It's a different type of nature in Iowa, though. You're right. It's flat. There's a lot of cornfields, soybean fields. Colorado has soybean and 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 cornfields. But it's uh, a lot more mountainous as well, right? Um, the great thing about Denver, Colorado, the, the capital there, uh, is it's a sprawling city. It's not really a city with skyscrapers, um, you know. So that that footprint is really, really massive. But then, 11 miles, maybe a 20-minute drive outside of the city, you end up at the base of the Rocky Mountains, a huge uh, mountain uh, range. So you have access to summertime, like hiking and, and camping, but in the winter you can go skiing or snowboarding, whatever, you know, pick your poison. Uh, and that that sounded very fun to me also is go to school, but also now I could ski every weekend. Mm. What's better than that? Yeah, I, I Colorado, for anybody who's never been to it, it should be on everybody's bucket list. It's just an incredible, well, so I should say when you get to the, uh, to the Rockies, yeah, and, and I'm trying to remember there's a name of a lake I went to see, it was, uh, the lake itself, the elevation was 10,000 feet. Yeah. Which is, which is, even Colorado itself, where I remember I was going, somebody said to me, make sure you drink plenty of water. You're already at 5,000 feet. And uh, that was a, uh, it's not a culture shock, it's not the right word, but it's certainly, it's different. You, you, you experience, it's, it's a visceral 
experience Colorado is. It's not just a, a another town. There's more to it than that. Yep, it's a, a fabulous place. So I, I can understand why you went back to it. What I'm actually curious about is uh, from a farm perspective of farming. And uh, you, you, you said you grew up around farmers. Did you have a, were you on a farm? Uh, I wasn't on a farm, but my, my uncles, um, I have three uncles uh, on that side of the family and they all do farm. Two of them, yeah. they farm in Iowa. When I was young, they still were actively farming. Uh, at one time, both livestock and um, uh, and crops. Then eventually yeah. they kind of phased out the livestock uh, as they got a little bit older yeah. and just were um, farming soybeans and corn. Um, so I wasn't living on the farm, but a yeah. few hours away. Uh, so every summer and during the holidays, you end up up there uh, around, you know, grandma and grandpa's uh, and we'd be out on the farm hanging out, playing with the, you know, the, the uh, outdoor cats, but also the pigs yeah. when I was young, lots of pictures with pigs. Uh, so interesting times kind of yeah. herding the pigs into the trucks so they could take them off for sale. Um, experiences that not everybody, particularly in my generation, ever no. has experienced or will experience. So it's kind of a fun yeah. one. I'm laughing because you said a few hours away. Where I am in Ireland, a few hours away is another country. In yeah. fact, it's several other countries. It's probably Germany or France or somewhere like that. It's just mind-boggling, the size. Uh, curious to know how they, that experience growing up around farms, um, as you describe them, have shaped who you are as an individual. Yeah. Um, I think being around farms in general, but like then being somewhat even indirectly associated with farms gave me an interesting perspective of how society, like uh, large populations actually work. Like it takes this stuff to feed all of us as people. Um, and learning that at a young age, starting to appreciate that like, man, there's a lot of work that goes into this. Um, uh, farm families, they have a lot of asset, like it takes a lot of machinery and whatnot to really farm on a, uh, even a family farm sized scale. Uh, and it takes a lot of hours uh, of work. Mm. It changed uh, then my perception of, okay, what is okay for me to go into as a field of study or uh, as you know, uh, employment? It doesn't mean I ever was interested in being a farmer myself, that's the reality. Um, but uh, I have a, a different appreciation for that, that role uh, and what it plays, uh, along with many other roles um, that could have been potential career paths. Was there anything in that, that were, were there any clues in that growing up, uh, your developing years, that looking back, you said, yeah, that's, that, that explains why I'm in sales. Uh, good question. Um, probably not. At least I haven't really thought of that. Uh, I would say, you know, maybe I did just sell the, the farmer role fairly well without really intentionally doing so, though. So uh, I think maybe the biggest thing it taught me or helped me realize I'm not I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. So that might not relate to sales in particular, but developing any type of um, any type of structure, et cetera. It might not be physically or literally getting my hands dirty, but I'll jump in the weeds uh, in a company to help them figure something out uh, as well. The hard work is usually the most rewarding work, uh, and I think a farmer might be one of the best, um, cool. the best to actually say that. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed actually, people I've spoken to who have grown up around farms, it's, there's a common theme there. One is not being afraid of hard work, and, and I was, for, I was understanding what hard work is. Um, and the other one is, the one that probably is even more important than that, 
is the idea of if something needs to be done, it typically needs to be done now. Let's not put this off. Let's not talk this to death because cows that need to be milked need to be milked now. A fence that needs to be fixed needs to be fixed now. There's no procrastinating. There's no let's let's call a meeting to discuss this. And that seems to, and I'm curious to know if it's the same with you, it seems to feed into their attitude and how they engage when they get into a, a completely different field, like yep. sales or leadership. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you need to do the work now. If you don't, you're only limiting what the potential might be, right? So like, you know, putting in the hard work, um, whether it's in this role or um, in, in another role, I think that is how you progress. Uh, and in sales, the short term is what people kind of focus on. So I'm going to put in all this work now to hit my monthly quota or my quarterly quota. That's fair. But also the work you're putting in now, if you really extend it and think more broadly, that's the work you're putting in to get your promotion to management, to middle management, upper management, whatever it is. All of these things pay off. Maybe not right away, but just like a farming cycle, you have to start step by step. You, you know, you, you're not going to harvest before you plant, right? And you're not going to plant before you, you um, kind of cultivate the field. So it's taking it step by step, appreciating one step at a time, but knowing there is an end goal. And the more work uh, and quality work you do early, the better the results are going to be, you know, down the line. And what was it then that specifically made you move into sales? Yeah, good question. So, um, when I moved to Chicago, I, I started to work for a small company. I actually was the third employee. Uh, the two owners were the only two uh, others. We, at that time, were kind of transitioning. It was a um, cell phone and tablet repair company at the time, and they were trying to transition into wholesale distribution of the parts to fix those uh, products, and they were going to sell to essentially their current competitors in the market, which is an interesting one. Uh, I had never made a sales call in my life, um, but you know this is how we were going to move it forward. So I started picking up the phone, calling anybody in the U.S., um, and I uh, I was terrified at first, didn't know what I was doing, but I found I was actually decently, uh, I was doing it decently uh, well, uh, to the point where some people who had the initial questions of like, well, why would we buy from you? You're literally our competitor, uh, could explain to them, hey, we're not going to be competing with you anymore. We do have some quality parts here. And we got our first customers uh, who we uh, retained really well. So, you know, we kind of evolved and I had a little bit less sales, uh, eventually trying to build out a sales team as well as a customer service team and a, a warehouse team to pack and ship these things. So I got away from it a little bit for uh, a couple years um, as a general manager overseeing a lot of moving parts. <clears throat> and eventually I realized I wasn't really having all that much fun doing these other things. The one thing I missed was sales. So I did transition out of that company and kind of took an entry-level role, truly focused on sales in a, a um, kind of the tech space. Uh, and I found that I enjoy it. I enjoy talking to people. I don't mind receiving tough questions because I'm going to come into this with a consultative and honest approach. And as long as I'm doing that, uh, in my mind at least, I'm, doing, I'm attempting to offer a value uh, and a service to somebody. If I can stand behind whatever that product service is, um, it's easy. And and again, it's it's fun talking to the the mm. many people and many different types of businesses that there are out there. Mm. If I were to come into a team that you had set up and you had been working with for a while uh, to establish, 
and you weren't in the office, how would I know that was a Matt Haywood team? What would I see, observe? Yeah, I think a lot of camaraderie and trust. Um, I build that, I start with myself and of course any leaders that work with me. Uh, it's important though to then instill that level of trust all the way throughout. I always say like <clears throat> to people who, you know, technically they work in a hierarchy under me. No, they work with me, they don't work for me. Uh, and I truly mean that because the reality is um, all of us are important in the little role we play without everybody working together on a even playing field. Um, you know, none of it's going to work optimally. Is that somebody running a photocopier? Yeah, upstairs it sounds like there's a drill. I do apologize. Okay. <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. No, I was just wondering because it sounded for a moment like a photocopier, but I couldn't see the lights. <laughs> so I yeah, that's no, I apologize. Okay. Something, something. Not at all. Not at all. These things that happen all the time. Um, that's Work the, from home. That's the that's the new reality. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's still a thing with you guys. Yeah. It is currently. I think we we will be back in the office by you know. Q1 of 2022, um, mm. finalizing a new office space. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into that as well with the uncertainty of how many people are going to go to the office, how much room do we need. But um, what do you anticipate then will be the issues that you're going to have when when that happens? Yeah, um, I think you know to start with us, we're in a rapid growth phase. Uh, when we're growing a team, not just sales, but we have you know the, the customer success and support teams here uh, in Ireland. Um, we're growing quickly. So how much room do we need right now uh, compared to in a year if we're going to hire another 100 employees? Um, but out of that 100, how many are going to work work from home permanently? We don't really know yet. Um, so I think it's not necessarily something I have to deal with. But when you when you look at the cost of uh, uh, leasing a space, subletting a space, uh, there is a cost there. So when is the right time? That's the big part. I think generally, though, everybody, uh, at least on my team, they're pretty excited to go back. Mm. They they know sales teams work better when they are uh, together. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think we're the all looking to it. I think the elephant in the room on that one, and and I understand why people don't want to talk about it, is that there is you know it's the same the world over in terms of the particularly in the the this sector. Is that there are people who want the hybrid. They realize that part-time working from home or, or some people want it entirely working remotely. And I know some companies, people I've interviewed on, on this podcast, who have said they're actually... In fact, I think it's some Silicon Valley companies, one in particular was saying that they they hire from Denver, people in Denver because that's a bit of a, a hub as well. Yep. And they don't have to pay Silicon Valley rates, yep. but they can pay more than... right. There's a, a kind of in-between... And that's that's attracting people, and and their, their whole value prop is that you can stay in 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 Denver wherever you don't have to move, and occur all the crazy cost of living that you get in the Bay Area, and that's fine, but there's something that's going to come down the line that I've noticed is that people who get promoted are people who are visible. Right. And if you're if you're not in the head office making those connections and and working the network, it's just not going to happen. And people are not really going to discover that maybe for a year or two down the line if they're not aware of it. And uh, and, and I don't know how you address that with a group uh, or whether you just you, you leave it to those who have the nows to figure it out. It's a, it's a yeah, difficult one. That's a good call. I think, you know, it's something worth talking to anybody that aspires to be in a leadership role of any kind. 
Mm. Having that conversation in their, you know, in their review or as a career uh, guidance counselor of sorts of like, hey, look, I get it. I love having an option to work from home also, but there are these opportunities that naturally, uh, um, organically are going to happen when you're in an office space with people. I would tell them a story when I got my promotion uh, at the company I work for, Active Campaign, uh, from an account executive to an SDR manager. I was told, you know, they had asked on the, the sales floor, a team of maybe 25 or 30 at the time, who do we think internally would be the person to be a leader? Uh, and my now boss, you know, he, he said, well, many names were thrown into the conversation, but every single person said your name and that you're overly helpful. That wouldn't happen if I was working remotely because they couldn't walk to my desk and ask the question in between my calls. Um, so that, you know, it's a very, I think, relevant example of like, hey, this happened. I wasn't even really trying. I was just helping the people around me, but it naturally showed myself and my leadership abilities, the natural, you know, uh, yearning to help others. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, it, it just shows me, you know, at, at a detail level, what, how it really happens and how it works. Visibility matters and, 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 and the reputation around those who surround us. Um, I, I'm curious to know what, what you then, having gone through that transition from, from rep to SDR manager, um, which you find more satisfying, being the, yeah. you know, the carrying the bag for, for the role or leading a team? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, and that's kind of the debate that I uh, went through when I was deciding whether I was going to accept moving into management or stay. And, you know, it comes down to what do you like more when you wake up? Do you want to work with new people every day, uh, working to uh, demonstrate value, or do you want to help people every day uh, get better and progress both in their role, but also as individuals uh, and in their career? I think it's fun to watch um, the people around me succeed, and I can influence that a lot better in a leadership role. Um, I do miss selling sometimes, uh, right? Like there is something to that, um, but I do appreciate helping my my colleagues, uh, the people that work with me. And for me, I also, though, like the strategy that I get to go into. It's stressful at times, right? That's the reality. So is an individual contributor role. But um, working, waking up and also working towards goals and thinking in the big picture, looking around two corners, not just, you know, um, what's right ahead of me. That part's, that part's exciting, um, I think. Um, and it, uh, the rewarding part is seeing when you implement a change. Maybe I made a recommendation and a portion of that is used at a major change. Wow, I'm I'm impacting the company in in a different way, uh, and that's uh, that's something I've always wanted to do somewhere. You mentioned when you were an, an exec, uh, account exec on the floor, yep. um, people would come to you for help. Yep, and that's obviously at the expense of your time, which is at the expense of how you can how much you can make in that role, and that somebody who might be kind of ruthless in their pursuit of making the money would kind of say, I'm busy, I'm busy, busy, go ask somebody else. And I'm curious to know what it is, or where that in your personality comes from, the desire to help at the expense of personal gain. Yeah. Um, I would imagine- financial gain, by the way, because there is a gain in it itself, right? Right, right, but no, that's that's a good question. You know, I probably can't tie it to just one or two things, right? Um, but I played a lot of sports when I was young, um, mainly like football, American football uh, and, and baseball. Um, 
And those are both are sports that like you can't do it alone. No matter what you do, one player does not dictate the outcome, right? And that's many sports, but those are the ones that I was associated with. So, you know, whether it's practice um, or in a game, you have to do anything you can to support the people around you. Um, so that might be a, a portion of it, but it probably goes further back than that. And, you know, my mom is somebody, uh, she was the assistant director at a children's hospital. Her life has been very much so uh, about uh, improving the, I mean, the healthcare system in a way that is going to benefit all families, um, not just the ones that can afford the best healthcare, for uh, example. And, you know, that that has driven um, for that level of kind of empathy, um, but also just the, the authentic interest in other people, uh, whether they are good at uh, whatever they do uh, or whether they need some improvement, they could get, they can become good at what they do, but it takes people, not just me, but multiple people around. Um, high tides rise all ships, right? They raise all ships. Uh, that's the mentality in sales that you have to take as well as, hey, I can learn something by helping somebody else as well. Uh, and every time I did help, I might not have known the question to what they asked me. Now I'm doing some research because I know where to find the right answer. Well, now I know the question as well. So there is a little bit of, you know, um, they scratch my back, I scratch theirs. Uh, and that just happens um, in those scenarios. And in your life right now, what would you say gives you the greatest sense of accomplishment? Yeah, um, I so I never would have expected to be in Ireland helping launch essentially uh, um, a regional hub outside of the United States. I actually never had left the United States until I moved here, really ripped the Band-Aid off there. I got my passport all of three weeks before I moved here. So truly, uh, you know, got it, moved, um, and never looked back. But truly, I, I never saw this coming. I mean, um, I've been working with, with this company for four and a half years now. I've been in Ireland for two. Um, but when I started, I didn't think I would, you know, be where I was even in the U.S., let alone now I'm living overseas. So really? that that is exciting. So what's rewarding and the a sense of accomplishment comes from, hey, we started with seven salespeople in, based out of Dublin, and in two years now we're at nearly 60. A lot of work went in, but man, that's a big a big milestone to break 50, uh, and now we're hunting for that 100 mark uh, of salespeople here. Um, every day is rewarding in its own, uh, its own way. What was your biggest culture shock when you landed here? Yeah, that's a good question as well. I think, um, you know, Ireland is is a good stepping stone in a way because it's English speaking, right? Um, it's uh, closer than, than a lot of um, the European countries, I guess all of them. Um, the biggest culture shock I think here would be uh, how close-knit the community is, I suppose. Um, I didn't necessarily expect that. Now, I didn't know what to expect, but... Um, you know, I've been living in big cities for a while um, where, you know, you'll run into some people, you know, but there are so many people that like, uh, you know, not everybody really associates with everybody else here. If I think about even like the tech community, everybody knows somebody that works somewhere. Uh, it's a small, uh, small community. I like that. It's a positive culture shock, but it wasn't something I expected. Um, mm. So that probably is the first one that comes to mind, certainly. And if you weren't here, if you, if you, whenever your time is up and you leave, uh, what would you miss most? Um, people here would be shocked, but I actually think the weather is something I would miss. Uh, it's very moderate. I, it doesn't get super hot. 
uh, in the summer and it doesn't get super cold in the winter. Uh, I like the pretty steady, you know, you might need to wear a, a hood and a raincoat, but like it never gets that bad. I like the that it doesn't fluctuate much. So that one, everybody always is like, what are you talking about, Matt? You're, you're incorrect. But no, that's that's probably number one um, for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that that was actually a shock for me years ago when people from uh, from the states or you know particularly hot countries, southern yeah. southern Europe, and would come to Ireland and it'd be the middle of summer and it might be fifteen degrees. What's that? Maybe tw sixty degrees Fahrenheit, yep. and they were going, "We love this," and yeah. we couldn't understand it because you know you probably have seen the crazy behaviour here that if it gets to twenty Celsius, seventy Fahrenheit. People are throwing off their clothes, and yep. <laughs> you see the next day the, the what we call the farmers' tans. You know, the, <laughs> the, their vests are burnt into them. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 always interesting when you can get when when you can view the world or view your community through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, that's it's yeah. a little bit of different perspective, right? I think that yeah that makes a difference. Yeah. Talk to me then a little bit about your own personal growth challenges in going from uh, individual contributor, then you're managing an SDR team, and now you're in Ireland, you're growing this hub, which is a whole other set of responsibilities. You're probably talking to people in government about supports at that level. You're, you're hiring people, you're reporting back. Just it's, it's a monumentally different challenge. Talk to me about kind of the, the personal bumps in the road uh, along the way and how you overcame them and maybe what lessons you learned as a result. Yeah, um, so I'll kind of start at the beginning. Um, I progressed pretty quickly in every role. So, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. Many people um, in compliments will say like, wow, you, you've really progressed. You had 10 months as SDR manager and then 10 months as a director of business development. And then 10 months later, you moved to Ireland as director of sales. I did. That is very fast. The reality though, from, from my view, what actually happens kind of behind the scenes is I never had that much time to properly get my feet under myself in the role. Mm -hmm. So when you move that quick, hard to really master any skills on one particular thing because now you're on a new project, you're on a new project. Um, it kind of creates this weird vacuum of like uh, internally questioning yourself, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing it well? You would think it's easy to say like, yes, you got a promotion. That's not really what uh, how you take it though once you get into leadership and you realize, well, there's a lot of people though that are depending on me. My promotion doesn't mean anybody else's success and that is very important. So um, I think for me, one of the big hurdles that I've found myself working through um, is actually one, um, finding ways to make sure I'm also taking care of my own development, my own skill development. Fortunately, I've been in this role for a few years now and, and I can sit with it. Um, but naturally now I'm kind of a caretaker of sorts where I'm caring for everybody else's development and I don't necessarily take enough intentional time with um, somebody that is my mentor, for example, to go through, hey, what can I get better at? And that is truly like a lot of that's in my hands. I should be going and asking for it. Um, but because I am very invested in growing this office and growing the people, uh, sometimes it's easy to forget I should also be growing growing myself. Um, the second one, though, I think is the international side of things. I mean, shifting 
to the cultures uh, and the economies, the complexities of the Europe as a region um, and selling into, leading teams that sell into all these uh, three different languages, um, it's not as easy as, you know, uh, as in the United States where whether you're in California or New York, you speak English most likely um, and you spend the same currency for sure uh, and you're selling and shipping to each other for sure. Uh, it's, you know, that is the United States uh, part of things. It's, I now realize it's very simple there uh, in comparison. Um, so that part's definitely been a learning curve for me is understanding the complexities of the doc market versus the Italian market versus UKI. Very different in, uh, in many ways, not just one or two. Mm. You talked about your own development in that. Where, where would you focus? If you, had, if you could carve out free time, just imagine, what would you want to spend it on? Yeah, in terms of personal think, development. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really working towards um, being able to not just come up with strategies um, for the long term, um, but really share those um, proposals, recommendations in a way that's going to be received well. Uh, that part isn't the easiest for me, right? How do I make this case and paint the picture over what I'm seeing and what I believe might be the right answer? Um, in all reality, I'm not, I'm not a master of that yet. In my head, it all makes sense, whatever I'm thinking. Now, how do I properly you know, share that, uh, uh, that wealth of knowledge or, or the, my feet are on the ground here, here is, here is what I think is best. Um, that would be my focus area. I think, you know, a lot of my work to date has been on being able to look around corners. I sometimes was in the weeds too much. So, uh, for a while, so getting out of that, now I'm thinking, um, you know, uh, in a wide lens about the future in a different way, but even that's not great if I can't really have others buy into the system that I think would, would benefit us the most. What you, what you mentioned there about the idea of taking experiences, ideas, concepts, and being able to sell those to others, communicate those in a way that people kind of go, okay, I get it. Um, that, that feels like to me, as you describe it, the perennial challenge that people who sell products and services that are not known, that are new, that are breaking new ground, where people can't point them and go, oh, that's one of those and that they have that exact same challenge in terms of how do I frame this in a way people get easily, that yep. they don't have to work too hard and, and see the benefit of it. Is, is it that? Is it, is it a, a classical sales challenge? Yeah, or I think it is. Something? Yeah, sorry to cut you off. I think it is, um, you know, and it's about understanding who is your audience, even if it's mm. an internal selling of a concept, in my mm. case. Uh, selling it to um, you know my counterparts in the U.S. or even here, you're you're selling it to them. Uh, but you do you have to understand who the audience is and how does that individual or those individuals how do they receive information and what is going to be most important to them at this yeah. time? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because that that always fascinates me. I've been doing sales training for twenty years, nearly, almost, and um, one of the things I've noticed a lot is People want to, when, they're, when, they're, when they look at learning how to sell, they, they tend to narrowly focus in on what am I selling today? So if I'm selling a particular software service, uh, 
then I, what I've noticed people doing is, okay, I need to figure out the buzzwords. I need to figure out what are the pain points around this particular product or service. How do I relate that? And what, what I often find is missing is the desire or maybe it's the pressure of the job that focuses people in that. Look, my immediate problem is I need to sell more of these. Help me do that. But I think if you step back from that and look at how do we sell, how do we influence others, that if we were to spend more time on that and, and learn to sell stuff that we know nothing about in, in, our, in, our, in our own kind of sphere, that that might be more helpful as a life skill. Because when it gets into where you are, what I'm hearing is that now, now you're in this leadership role and you're selling yourself. There, there's, there's, there's all of the, the specifics of selling products and services is kind of lost in that a little bit. Um, but when you, when, you, when you draw back from it, it, it is kind of the same. Yep. Yeah, um, that's a fair point. Yeah. No, I, I guess it's, it's my soapbox. It's nothing to do with you uh, in, in that sense. Is that I guess it's a frustration that I have. What I, what I want to say to people is, no, forget about what you're selling today. Let's step back and let's talk about what's happening at a psychological level when somebody rocks up and says, I have something here, are you interested? Or, or we want to communicate ideas and concepts to, in a way that, that can be accepted. Yep. Um, I just, maybe, I don't know. I, I feel there's a need for it, but I'm not so sure there's a demand for it. I, maybe, you know, I, I think you're right, though. You're onto something, because I think all of us are open to being sold something, but each of us receive information in a different way. So mm. you have to speak to somebody, sell to somebody uh, in a way that at least closely aligns to how they take in information. Um, some people you want to be fairly direct with. Some you need to show data. Some others you just need to talk about the green pastures ahead. Mm. But that's the hard part. And I think you're right, though. That is kind of the, on the psychological level. Who is this person uh, mm. is the first thing I ask uh, um, you know, internally when I get uh, a sales call, a sales email of some sort. Um, and it is really how their next step uh, of the approach is. Uh, that kind of dictates whether I'm going to move forward. Uh, these people don't know me, um, but they have to find a way to try to get to know me, and it's breaking that barrier. Um, mm. That becomes the important part. Mm. It's always one of the things I think, certainly in our school system, we we spend way too much time on language and not enough on communication. Yep. Um, if you were Minister for Education or Secretary for Education, what one subject would you make mandatory throughout the secondary high school years? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know here what's mandatory and what's not, but uh, I definitely believe um, that social-emotional intelligence is something that people don't study unless you choose to at a later date. And that is uh, the core of communication, verbal and nonverbal. Um, it's helping understand yourself so you can understand others. That, to me, is something everyone should learn before they go off to university and probably continue learning in university and then after university. Mm. Um, I believe that that is how communities could be closer together, families could be closer together, businesses can operate um, with more camaraderie. It all comes back down to this social-emotional intelligence that mm. you know, is that ebb and flow of people interacting with one another. Yeah, yeah.
Speaking of local cultures, here's here's a tip that might might help. Is uh, somebody wrote this a few years ago, and I thought it was so simple, but just genius in terms of how it captures uh, certainly Irish culture versus say something like German culture. Although I would suspect that you were to substitute Irish with kind of Catholic and German with typically northern Protestant type cultures in terms of work ethics and so mm-hmm. on, is that in Ireland certainly, if something is not expressly forbidden, it's allowed. Mm-hmm. Like if there isn't something saying you can't do that, then it's allowed. <laughs> Where in Germany is, if it isn't expressly allowed, you have to assume it's forbidden. Yep. And it's just, it's a different take on situations which I always think is interesting. But uh, if you, yeah, if you certainly go to southern European countries, it's much more of the Irish. It's it's allowed unless expressly forbidden. Forgiven. And even then, when it's expressly forget, for, forbidden, it's usually where's the loopholes? How can I get around this? Um, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll find a way. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Tell me, um, outside of work, how do you keep yourself? Uh, what do you do to keep yourself energized and? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, in all reality, I play plenty of video games and that's not energizing. Right. So uh, what I found and I was kind of forced into this um, through the pandemic and starting to work from home and doing it for an extended period of time in a country that I only had six months to meet anyone. Um, mm. I started taking uh, caretaking to a lot of plants. So it started with like three plants. It ended up being like 20 plants indoors. And now I have, you know, uh, vegetable garden outside as well. Oh, you and, tell me, tell me, you brought all your skills of growing plants from Colorado to Ireland. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the weather know, doesn't support it. I know. <laughs> you know, it's nice though. It's something that builds routine. I think that's yeah. the big thing with plants yeah. that a lot of people don't realize is it, it gets you into routine of sorts. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, now that things are open back up uh, and, and, I'm finding myself really enjoying just taking leisurely strolls through Rathmines and the the surrounding area here in Dublin um, because there's so much to look at. But I think it's really just like finding ways, finding reasons to go out and be outside regardless of what you're doing. Um, I think people interestingly here in Ireland do this well um, because of the weather. You don't know if it's going to rain necessarily in a few hours. which is similar actually in Colorado. They say, if you don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. That's a Colorado saying as well, but you can't plan uh, on something and then kind of just back out because it's raining here and people still, no, you're gonna go do what you were gonna do. Just put on a raincoat and carry an umbrella. Otherwise you're limiting yourself to really never having, um, you know, a lot of faith that you're gonna be able to do anything. Um, I think that's huge. It's a reason to go, um, you know, yeah, I read somewhere that in climates like Ireland and Colorado, and I wasn't aware of that in Colorado, but where weather changes quite frequently is that people tend to be, now this is not me saying it, it was some re- psychologist was saying that some book about this, said that it makes people more adaptable, that you kind of learn to live with change as if it's just part of your everyday existence. and. Yeah. If it changes, so what? You know, that's how is this today different to yesterday? And then in climates where it's 90 degrees every single day, every, you know, all summer long, that people tend to fret more about little things. I don't know if that's just hokum or whether there's anything in that. What do you think? 
I think there could be something to that. Uh, if you are, I mean, we all acclimate to environments and that could be climate as an example. If you're used to year round sun, like some places in the US certainly are, when it's cold, you're gonna feel it. When it rains, you're gonna be more upset about it because you're not used to rain disrupting your day or your week. If you're used to the change, you kind of realize like, well, the weather can change, but I also can change in the way that I wear layers or, or do whatever. You're naturally now able to do that and probably start applying that to other things as well, whether it's you know a personal life or career-wise. Uh, curious to know, the, now that you've been here, what, two years? Two years, yep. Two years two as years. of August. Yep. What have you found yourself saying or doing that you, well, when you go back home, that people will go, where did that come from? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I think, um, man, there's a few examples that I get. Uh, I get when my mom visited, for example, she's like, "Well, when, when did you start saying that?" I, they're just some Irish phrases that now I say because everybody, I say it. Uh, an easy example would be uh, here. It's you know what, um, takeaway, right? Is that right? In the United States, it's like carry out or to go. Um, so that's a little one. Um, but I, you know, there are other things like delightful. Like I never said delight, delightful before I moved here. That's not a word Americans use all that often, but now I find myself using it. It's little things in the way that I speak, certainly. Um, I think the other side though that they probably would see is that I'm, I've um, truly felt that here, man, people are relaxed, very friendly to each other and like less stressed is what I, what I sense. Um, so it even has shifted me. I've always thought I'm a pretty calm, cool and collected individual, but I think I'll bring back even more of a presence of like, okay, there are things that aren't great in Chicago and Denver, wherever it is. There's always something in, in any state or country, but like it's okay. And we're a community. We can, we, we are okay. I think that's, that's what I get in Ireland. It really does feel like it's always, we, we are okay. We're here together. Um, that sense of like true community is something that I won't forget uh, if and when I, I do leave Ireland. Interesting. Um, what's next for you? Great Let's question. Go forward. Yeah, great question. I I don't know the answer to that right now. And I think <clears throat> I would like to know what is next. I think for me, I've decided to slow down a little bit. Um, again, I had those quick promotions so many times. It really is like what's next is mastering this role uh, that I'm in and mastering or getting to know better um, the the international business uh, climate. Um, because I think, you know, there is opportunity out there in 20 years, whenever it is, uh, that I'm going to be able to take this experience. If I really take it all and absorb it like a sponge, um, I'm going to be able to use a lot of this in a great way. Again, mm -hmm. both. Uh, personally, if I think about the experiences I've went through moving somewhere and going through a pandemic somewhere uh, elsewhere, but also in what I'm learning of the business community in Europe, as an example, there's going to be, uh, I'm not working for the last company that's ever going to move to Europe to open up an office. Many companies are going to try to do the same. I would love to have enough knowledge and experience to help another business, you know, uh, down the road, do the same thing. Um, that would be if I stay in, in, you know, in Europe, which a lot of me at this moment, at least, wouldn't mind, uh, wouldn't mind doing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, I have met many people over the years, uh, typically in, in sales leadership, because that's how I'd be exposed to most. 
and non-Irish people and they're living here and they've been living here for a while and when I asked them what made them stay, we all, you know, what made them come was usually is typically a job in the tech sector, they want to improve their English or it's just a promotion <coughs> and, and the answer is always the same, I met somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm wondering, has, has, has you, you haven't fallen into that trap yet? Or did so you I actually, yeah, so I actually um, was with somebody when I moved here, and she was in the U.S. for the first year that I was here. Um, so she moved over August of ah, 20, very 2020 good, very and got good. her master's at UCD. So she's here now with me, which has been great for that, at least that second year of the pandemic. Um, for sure. So I didn't meet somebody, but now I do have yeah. someone. No, that's, that, that leads you a lot more flexible. I was yeah. the same. But I, I lived in the UK for several years, but my wife, well, she's my girlfriend at the time, she moved over. And therefore, when we decided to move back, when we had a child, it was easy. But when you meet somebody local, that's it. You can... Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be carrying you out of a box in that place. <laughs> yep, well... Yeah. Uh, and that actually, it's interesting. I, I know a fair amount of people that it's similar to that, where they moved, uh, expats moved to Ireland, and now they, they also, they've just been here because uh, they met somebody, and now they're, um, you know, they're here for, for the long haul. Yeah, till death do us part or my visa runs out, one or the other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, um, a couple of very last uh, quick questions for you, uh, Matt. Looking around your home, if, if it were on fire right now and you had to dash and assume your family are safe and, of course, your phone as well, that's, you've grabbed that in your computer, but you had time to run back in to grab one object and save it, what would it be? Yeah, uh, so interestingly, actually, just before the summer before I moved here, my condo in Chicago had a fire, um, so we actually lost a lot of stuff, uh, and I didn't grab anything. Um, and I think, you know, it'd be the same. If I had to select one thing, going through it and actually looking back at how things can be replaced, uh, the most important thing actually really is the passport. It just, you know, you will be okay. You have that that one thing. Um, everything else, I mean, the passport's replaceable as well. But in all reality, like, uh, objects are all replaceable. I had many things that I was very upset with for a long time that uh, I lost, but they were replaceable. And look, two years later... I have the things I want again, right? Uh, life is okay. Um, so speaking from uh, true experience, it, uh, it's not that important to grab anything, really. You're the first person I've met who's had that, that has, has at least told me they've had that experience where they've gone through a fire. And I'm curious then, what, now that you had the experience of, a, of, of that clean out, let's call it, and what has surprised you um, what what object do you, at the time would you have said I you couldn't live without? But in hindsight, like it wasn't a big yeah. deal. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, and still have a lot of shoes, but I had you know sixty pairs of tennis shoes, and it's just like what? lots of tennis. How much shoes. tennis do you play? Yeah, yeah, none at all. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you got to be able to match with everything. But like, it's an example. Um, I think the. The pride I take in having the brands and these things of whether it's clothing or shoes, you don't actually need them. You also could just wear a, a all white, you know, or all black T-shirt, and you know you're actually okay. Um, that's that's the obvious one to me. There's a you know a lot of a lot of things of uh, now that I think through when I'm going shopping. I don't really buy all that much clothing um, because 
do you need all that? Uh, do I need outfits for 30 days? No, you, you don't need that many outfits in all reality. You just need a few uh, and, you know, and then live your life a little bit rather than stress over how do I look. In, in addition to the cleanup, do you think then the, the desire to have brands and have lots of them, do you think that's an insecurity then that, that maybe the roles you've gone through and the traveling experience you've, you've just grown out of as well? Possibly, yeah. Um, yeah, that's possible. I think also, you know, a portion of it, if I was, you know, being candid, comes from the pandemic and not not needing to to you know look look well. I know at one point I'm like, man, I think I've worn sweatpants for three months straight. So there probably is an element when things are opening up, and and I traveled again for the first time recently, and I did buy some clothes before I went because you when you're traveling, okay, there's a reason. Yeah. Um, but I have rethought. Um, about what I want to spend my money on. Um, yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm a guy that buys every gadget and electronic ever. So maybe it just transferred to something new. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely has, right. has changed. Those transfer, I'm like that. Gadgets. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and secondhand cameras. Why? <laughs> like, yep. phone, they're, you're, you're, my iPhone takes better pictures than any of them. You know, it's... Anyhow. But it, but if it brings you joy, you know, there's there's no, nothing against purchasing. That, isn't things. it weird though? It's really weird. I remember there was this when I was 17. There was this camera in a in a shop window where I grew up, and I would drool over this thing because it was so expensive at the time. And only last week I went and I bought. Obviously, it's the second hand one. It's an old film camera, but it was felt like I just I wanted to close that. It was a weird thing. It wasn't about the camera at all. I didn't need it, but it was just. It was like closing that chapter on that little kid who wanted just this camera. Man, now, now I've got it. <laughs> Forgetting the fact that it cost me far less secondhand for, almost 40 years later. Um, yeah, man. Anyway, fine, uh, prop, sorry, I, I, I went over there on, on, on my promise of final no, that's question. Okay. That's After okay. the last question. Uh, when, when, when your time on the planet is done and there is a book written in your honor, what would you like the title of it to be? Helpful. That came that came to you quite quickly. Yeah, I, I you know I almost knew where you were going right when you when you started, and I think that's day to day, week to week, year by year. That's what mm -hmm. I would like people to look at me as. Yes, I'm I want to be known as a nice individual, somebody that's mm -hmm. helpful. Certainly has that characteristic. Uh, I want to be supportive. Again, um, that has the characteristic. Helpful has that characteristic. I think helpful encompasses who I strive to be. Um, you know, uh, and, and helpful covers a lot of ground. You can be helpful in many, many ways. It's a versatile word, a word choice, I suppose. And how do you stop people taking advantage of that? I know that's an extra question, but you, you yeah. said it's pretty important. That's a good, that's a good one. I think it, it kind of relates to uh, earlier in the conversation when I, when I brought up, you know, you have to remember also, I need to remember also, I need to be helpful to myself. So be helpful to myself in the same ways I would be helpful to everybody else. It means I'm going to also support uh, support myself to get to the next step. I love that answer. That's fantastic. I, I yeah, yeah. Because I, I know somebody who's like that, who's really really helpful, but can sometimes be exploited as a result. Yep. And and I think that answer is just you. You also need to help be helpful to yourself. Yep. And Haywood, thank you so much for being my guest today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks for having me.